Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We here at The Rock Focus hope you had a great holiday and you have plans for a wonderful start to the new year. On your writing system, do you have a good setup? We found that the best results are threefold. First, goal setting. Second, a project breakdown. And third, word tracking. At the opening of a month, any month, know the writing plan. Second, know the parts of the project you want to achieve for each week of that month. Plan only for the month. We can set yearly projects, but that's only a wish list. The monthly writing plan for the specific parts of a project, that's reality. Last part to achieve success, Set a weekly word count goal that is reasonable, then achieve it. For January, Emma Lee has set a project goal of a short story collection. One story of the five is written. Each week, she will write, improve, and prep for publication one of the four remaining stories. Remy Black is in the sketching stage of her next fantasy novella. By the end of the month, she wants each of the elements of the plot seven finished. That gives the story arc. And do you hear that drone? That's a plane flying low because of the rain. Edie Runes is in the sketching stage for her first novella in the Wild Sherwood series. This is after completing 10 short stories in the Wild Sherwood series last year. As a New Year's gift, every year we offer an opening scene from a short story. In 2020, M.A. Lee gave us a mystery short story, The Lion's Den. Last year, Remy Black provided a fantasy, Godriana's Font. This year, both Edie Runes and M.A. Lee have a story from their collaboration in the Wild Sherwood fantasy series, The Poisoner and The Fairy Huntsman. Links for all three complete stories are in the show notes. These three are available free on BookFunnel, so check them out. Now, here's the start of our story. The Poisoner and the Fairy Huntsman In the shadowy room, the vial glowed as Millie stoppered it. Lots sparkled. The magic blinked out as she slotted the vial into her healer's script. She had used more of the magical elixir than she had anticipated. She feared Johnice's husband had noticed the sparkling lights. The elixir emitted no light when applied, only when she corked it. A rough grunt came from behind her. Millie turned to face the man. In this cramped room, with only the fire for light and warmth, the big guard loomed over his wife, who lay on the sole pallet against the wall. The lamp gave an amber glow to his smashed features. He rubbed his hand over his unshaved jaw. She no longer in pain? No pain, Millie agreed. She despised Oswin. She'd tended his wife more than once. The woman stayed only because he followed when she left. Escaped was the word Melly would have used. 
This time, Johnny's had only broken fingers and bruises. She dreaded the occasions when Oswin truly lost his temper. Her scant magic could speed healing and stop the worst of the pain. Yet if a body didn't want to heal, she could do nothing. Janice had not yet reached that point. Mally would infuse more elixir tonight. Best to be prepared. She never knew what hurts and wounds she would encounter. The elixir wasn't like her other tinctures and tonics, salves and balms. She had to draw secretly on her little trickle of fairy power to give it healing magic. Oswin swung to face her. Melly couldn't hide her flinch. The sheriff's guard had brawn he never hesitated to use. His habitual expression didn't invite friendliness, yet now he gave a gap-toothed smile. She still didn't like his piggy eyes. No pain, he gruffed. Could use some of that myself. He rode his rounded shoulders, then flexed his arms. Came out the worst when I tussled with that wrestler from Lincoln. She didn't succeed at hiding her grimace. Her power only worked when she shared with any who asked. She had prayed Oswin and his ilk never asked. As a healer for women, men normally spurned her help. Oswin's interest in the elixir eclipsed his aversion about using his wife's healer. You ought to give me it. I got hurts. His hurts were scarcely on the same level as Jocene's broken bones. In the past, she'd judged such requests with a pretense of arrogance. Wouldn't hurt to try that again. Melly lifted her chin and looked down her long, narrow nose. I have liniment for sore muscles. I need treatment, woman. Round out the coins you keep costing me. Her temper rose. Remember that cost next time, Oswin, before you break your wife's fingers or her arm or leave her face so battered that her eyes are swollen shut. She ain't no wife, just a woman. Mally opened her mouth to argue that Oswin wasn't worth it. When Janice healed, Mally would repeat his words. Hopefully, they would be the crack in the wall of Janice's devotion. Oswin didn't often appear when Mally attended his wife. He'd remained this time. She didn't know the reason. That change worried her. Nottingham had been disrupted of late. Murmurs and complaints had reached Melly, who kept apart from most of the town's gossip. The rumors complained of the robbery of rich merchants traveling on the King's Road through Sherwood Forest. In light of those rumors, maybe placating him was the right thing to do. I have very little elixir remaining. It is rare and expensive. She reached for the script and closed her fingers tightly on the leather pouch. He flexed stubby fingers. You refusing a guard? The sheriff won't like that. Give me that pouch of yours. I'll get it. She hunted for a vial similar to the one that held the fey-powered elixir. He snapped forward and jerked the script out of her hands. He upended it and gave a shake. Pouches of herbs, rolled bandages, prepared poultices, and stoppered clay pots landed on the dirt and scattered. The all-important magic devils remained tucked in their slots. Oswin shook the script again. More simples dropped out, including a roll of linen. The cloth dropped and unfolded on the hard-packed dirt floor. Tiny glass vials winked out. Oswin crouched and seized the linen roll. He tossed the script down. Mally stretched out a hand, then withdrew it. He would ignore anything she said. Whether she told truth or lied or gave a warning about poison, 
Oswin would not listen. He stared at the vials. The liquids were very colored, one tinted yellow, another green. A third, more dangerous poison was colored like a cherry syrup. Oswin pulled out a yellow-tinted vial that resembled the one she had tucked away. He had watched her more closely than she had realized. He popped the cork, sniffed, and recoiled. Stinks. I don't remember a stink. Please don't, she pleaded, but she omitted that he had a strong emetic. He touched his tongue to the vial, then spat the taste. Blech. She didn't react when you gave her this. Tastes like poison. I diluted it. I used only a few drops in watered L's. Give me some L. With shaking hands, she turned to the table behind her. The cup she'd used with Jocene was there. She sliced L into it from a bottle. When she reached for the water, he snapped, Give it to me. A little water will dilute it. Don't need it. How much? She cleared her throat. How can I stop him? What will he do to me? One drop. She tugged the script away from him and began gathering her simples and potions, her bandages and poultices. He measured three drops of the emetic into the L. That amount wouldn't kill him, but he would be in agony. When he returned the vial, she quickly stowed it. Then she backed away. Oswin planted himself on the three-legged stool beside the hearth. How long before it works? Not long. You saw. I saw her fret, then go to sleep. Aye, the hours of pain exhausted her. Melly swept her shawl around her shoulders. I should be getting on. Go on, then. Don't want to stare at your pinched face. She slammed the rickety door, yet she hovered outside, unable to leave, waiting. But why wait? She knew what would happen. She knew how long he would spew and retch and heave, long after his stomach emptied. One drop caused spewing for a candle mark. Three drops cleansed a system. If she allowed him to suffer, her time in Nottingham was over. Defiance had never worked in previous towns, but placating also did not work. Mellie liked Nottingham. For three years, she'd had a good life. She had avoided the sheriff's men and the town officials. She had successfully hidden the magic that created her elixirs and balms. What Oswin called a pinched face, her sharp nose and chin and her angled cheekbones and eyes were the only obvious signs of her fairy blood diluted over seven generations. He retched and did so again. Then he spewed the contents of his stomach. When he had a moment of ease, he cursed her and her healing then he spewed again. Melly opened the door and stepped inside. She stayed well back. The room stank of sickness. He was on his hands and knees before the hearth, spitting. What did you give me, witch? Jocene didn't spew out her stomach. You tried to kill me. You chose the liquid, Oswin. You should have diluted it with ale and water. That prevents vomiting. Which wasn't quite a lie, she thought. He cursed her again. Then he grabbed his stomach and fought the emetic before he spewed liquid that stank of bile. I can stop it, she offered. You'll sleep a bit and wake sore, nothing more, a small price. He heaved, though nothing emerged. Gimme, witch, gimme. Swear an oath for your attempted theft. Like hell, you tried to kill me. You chose the liquid. You didn't say a word to stop me. Never cross a healer, Oswin. 
You must swear an oath. Never say a word against me or of this business. Curse you, witch! Then he wretched again. He fell forward onto his hands, onto the sickness covering the dirt-packed floor. The medic found liquid from somewhere and tossed it out of his throat. She found the curative and waited until he dragged a hand over his dripping mouth. Then she offered the packet of dried herbs. Swear, and I'll give you these. You want me dead? No, I want you to leave me alone. I'll never forget which. Good, she waved the packet. Swear, Oswin, a simple oath. You will never say a word against me or of this business. He heaved. He swallowed mightily. Then he snatched the packet. I swear, what do I do with this? Say the word, Oswin, or the curative will not work. A deliberate lie, that. He had called her a witch. Let him think she had that power. Grudgingly, he said, I swear, never a word spoken on this business. Good enough. Chew the leaves, every sprig, every stem, every green bit. You will have time enough to clear this mess before the soporific takes effect. He wretched, then tore open the packet and crammed leaves into his mouth. His red rim eyes never left her. His shoulders and torso jolted with a dry heave. You must swallow. He cursed her around the herbs, but he swallowed. She sloshed L into the cup and offered it. He snatched it away and gulped it down. On his first breath after, he growled, You'll pay. Remember your oath, she retreated to the door. Here, you clean this up. You made it. You clean it. Then she shut the door and hurried away. Did I do enough to keep me safe here in Nottingham? No. Oswin would plot a revenge. She sighed. She had to leave. That meant buying a cart and a horse, packing up her little household, finding a leash for Rollo, her hound, and taking once more to the road. Friends abandoned, starting alone yet again. Better to start her preparations tomorrow on market day. That would also give her time to say farewell to Ellen and her friends. No one stared at her swift walk through the town and the gates and along the road. She was a healer, often about on dire business. Her hut came into view, tucked behind a grain field. The little wooden building sheltered beneath tall oaks that dropped acorns into the thatch, where they tried to burrow in and sprout new trees every spring. Her herb garden, already harvested, dried in the fortnight's drought. Bunches of her harvest hung from beams in her main room, waiting for transfer to the steel room once a shed. Her pottager garden had stopped producing. She should pick the last of the yield. Then her hound bayed a halloo, tired of his few hours inside, and she smiled, knowing what she would do first. Rollo knew better than to leap upon her, but he crowded Melly, his whole body wagging his excitement at her return. His sleek body showed scars from his old master before she'd rescued him and won his undying loyalty. He drunk his bowl dry. She fetched more water, and his lapping filled the hut. Next thing, she replenished her scrip, an old habit she never broke. Rollo followed her every step, across the room and back, in and out of the still room. When satisfied with her work, she crossed the strap over her breast and picked up a heavy cloth pack. She knew a bramble patch where berries still fruited. 
Then she fetched the rope she used as a large harness. Rollo quivered at this sign of an explorer. As soon as she opened the door, he hauled her out. Melly left, her trouble with Oswin cast behind her. Let me latch the door. Rollo strained at the harness. You don't even know where we're going, she scolded. He whined. Not town, she reassured him. When she turned away from Nottingham toward the fields and forest, he gave his two-note call. His eagerness nearly pulled her off her feet. Far from Nottingham, she let the hound off the harness. He bounded away. She watched his joyful run with an uplifted heart. His first energy expended. He headed back to where she picked berries from the bramble patch. He nosed along the verge between field and Sherwood Forest. When he ventured into the forest, she called him back. He always returned, looking both contrite and thwarted from following an intriguing scent. They headed back, Melly dragging her heels, Rollo still exploring. The sun streaked vivid pinks and purples into the sky over Nottingham. The wind gusted through the trees and rippled like ocean waves across the grain. She had no premonition, so the men standing outside her hut surprised her. Guards wearing the leathers and colors favored by the sheriff. A sinking gloom predicted that Oswin had broken his oath. She could run. The guards had not yet spotted her. Yet even as she formed the thought, a guard spied her. He shouted to his fellows. More emerged from inside her hut. Melly drew nearer but stopped at her withy gate. Rollo sensed her wariness. He growled at the two men who neared. A captain she saw. The other she didn't know. You come with us, the captain demanded. Through the harness rope, Rollo sensed her fear. He resumed growling. Captain, am I charged? She asked, trying for a reasonable tone. What is the complaint against me? Who made it? Never you mind, the other man said. Shut it, Vern. I'm doing this. The captain scowled at her. Keep your hands where I can see them. Charges poison. Oswin's woman says you tried to kill him. Jocene said that. You poisoned him. He was sick all over their home. She had to fetch the physic to him. At first he couldn't stay awake, roused enough to tell her what happened. But he lives, Vern crowed. You failed. He'll see you in jail. I didn't poison him. I had no reason to. Don't matter, the captain said, and opened the gate. You're coming with us. The hound crashed and snarled, sounding like a vicious animal. Call off the dog, the captain ordered. She released the rope harness. Rollo sprang for the captain. The man fell back into burn. They tangled together on the ground. The guards behind them reacted too late. Blocked by their captain and burn, they couldn't get through the gate. Nor could they climb over her withy fence. Tall enough to keep out deer, the withy fence would break under their weight. Rollo, come! He stopped worrying the captain and looked sheepish. As soon as Millie had the hound's attention, she ran, lifting her skirts high so nothing hindered her long legs. The scrip and pack bounced against her. Rollo bounded beside her, all eagerness to run. The guards yelled. They would follow. She wished, oh, she wished. But could I have changed anything? Jocene had needed help. Oswin chose to drink the emetic. Would he have stopped if she warned him? The shouts drew closer. Melly plunged into the forest at the first path she saw. Rollo stayed on her heels. The guards were not far behind. 
The path ran clear and wide, a straight trail with no encroaching bushes or branches. The hound kept pace, darting forward a few times, dropping back to investigate a smell. Only once did she need to call Rollo to her. Good hound that he was, he leaped to join her, tongue lolling out of his square muzzle. When she slowed, not able to maintain a full-out run for long, Rollo didn't slow, just deepened his ventures before and behind. Mally saw a narrow deer track, and she veered off the wide trail onto it. The hound followed. The underbrush encroached on this trail. Brambles caught her skirt. Shafts of sunlight came fewer, farther apart as ancient, thick-trunked trees replaced the younger ones growing at the forest perimeter. She chased side trail after side trail, hoping to lose her pursuers in the maze. The guards shouted less, but still they crashed along. They had fallen behind. She hoped they had missed the turn onto the new path. The new trail remained constant. She ran until she stumbled and fell. The hound jumped over her, around her, thinking it a game. Her chest heaved with her gusting breath. She pushed Rollo off and scrambled up. The trees revealed no guards. No shouts came, yet very faint was a determined crashing. A few guards must still trail her. Her troubles in other towns had never come from the authorities. Odiswan's poisoning would turn the whole barracks against her. That he'd stolen the emetic to drink. That she'd not caused his poisoning. That she'd never given trouble in her three years in Nottingham. That she provided a needed service to the women and the poor. None of that would matter. Walking slowly, working to slow her breath, Melly considered her situation. She had wanted a quiet life in Nottingham. She sighed at a crash far behind. Telling distance in a forest was difficult. Her little bit of fairy heritage sharpened her senses, never enough to match the fair folk, never enough to reveal her blood. That would get her burned as a witch, as Osmond had accused. She could never return to Nottingham. Twilight was coming. The dimness under the trees had already deepened. How long would the guards follow her? She had no idea where in the forest she was, not even a direction. But she had Rollo and long experience at being resourceful. She'd started from scratch before. She could do it again. Rollo followed his nose along another path, and Melly followed him. The low fire burned inside a stony circle. Melly hoped the flames kept away the four-legged predators. She knew wolves still roamed the forest, no matter what others claimed. She hoped that she'd lost her two-legged predators. Rollo crowded against her, lifting his cold muzzle to her fingers. He'd eaten well on forest hair. He had spooked it as twilight became darkness. The foolish thing had leaped onto the trail and soon died, and Melly winced as she compared the death to the events of her day. She had berries and nuts and water, a better repast than she would have received in jail. Giant beaches encircled the clearing. She had gathered fuel to last till morning. A small fire shouldn't alert to the searches. Fortune favored her, for they were into autumn, but this night had no scent of morning frost. With the fire on one side and Rollo on the other, she would stay warm. She woke to Rollo growling. She blinked hazily. Blackness surrounded the camp. The forest had a waiting stillness. Something lurked near. Rollo wasn't barking, so it wasn't a predator. 
Had the guards found her? Yet whatever came didn't crash as it pushed through the underbrush. The hound sprang to his feet. He faced away from the trail that had brought them to this clearing. His whole body quivered with excitement. Melly fed more fuel to the fire. The flames leaped higher, lighting the clearing. Then three black hounds streamed into the space. They began as slender shadows slinking from the forest into the grassy clearing. Like sooty smoke, they expanded in size. Black as the night, narrow of muzzle, sleek and long leg. Fire gleamed on their coats. Their eyes glowed red. Melly gasped. Fairy hounds, vicious to their prey. Intrigued by the Poisoner and the Fairy Huntsman? Remember to check the links to receive the story free from Book Funnel, along with Godriana's Font, Another Fantasy, and The Lion's Den, a mystery set in 1920s London. Next week, we resume our regular episodes for The Right Focus with all things characters. Join us. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.